This is the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. Hello, everybody. It's so good to be back. It's so good to be here in November, though we are recording this at the very end of October. This is Trevor with thanks to Paul. Paul, how are you doing today? Doing well. Yeah, thanks to you, too. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. It's It feels a little different this morning. I think the, the weather's changing the... The mornings are a little darker, so it's kind of that funny time of season where you can feel things, you know, changing right before your eyes. Mm-hmm. Yep. I I was out with my wife uh, yeah, over the weekend, you know, and it already felt like November to me, even though, again, it's not for us. I guess I'm just living in the future a little bit. <laughs> we got our first snow yesterday, so I think that's part of it, too, is like oh, there's just yeah. no denying what time of year it is anymore. <laughs> well, I hope we get to enjoy it. Yep. Uh, we are delighted to be joined today by Lori Feathers. Lori, uh, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I'm really happy to join you. So, Lori, you and I have known each other online for some time. Um, we have judged book pr- a book prize together, which I'm sure will come up today, as today's topic is book prizes. But I wanted to let listeners get to know you from, from you. Uh, what would you like listeners to know a little bit about you? Well, um, in 2017, I opened a bookstore in Dallas, Texas, where I live. Um, And that store has been really fantastic. I'm the uh, book buyer for the adult books at the store, and I have a lot of fun with that. Um, I have a series at Lit Hub called In Context, where I look at some of my favorite authors and putting their new works in kind of a contextual perspective with their entire body of work. Um, I've written for different publications, uh, a lot of online publications, book reviews mostly, or literary essays. And I'm currently on the board of the National Book Critics Circle. And uh, most important for me this year Mm -hmm. is that I've launched a new literary prize for small presses in the United States and Canada called the Republic of Consciousness Prize. And we will get into that uh, for sure. In fact, I mean, that's one of the main reasons that we have you on the show today, Lori, is I want listeners to learn more about uh, your new venture with the Republic of Consciousness Prize. So we'll get into that in just a second. But, you know, before we get too far, I, I do want to thank um, <laughs> one of our listeners, uh, Bill Martini. Um, I, I think we've made it, Paul. I think, I think we've so. made it. We are now officially um, on a meme. Um, I'm going to say that. I don't. I, I, there's no other way to put it, right? I mean, it's gone viral. Because oh, yeah. I yeah. tweeted it out. <laughs> exactly. We both did. So I think that's the There definition. we go. <laughs> anyway, Bill put together um, in a spirit of, 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 well, fandom and flattery, right? I mean, not this is not this is not mockery or anything like that. He assured that. us that it was in the spirit of love. So that's how I chose to take it. <laughs> Me too. And, and I'll be honest, it's so funny that mm-hmm. even if he, if he didn't, um, I'd be, I'd be chuckling. He made <laughs> us a bingo card for our episode. So um, listeners, if you do want to play along right now, doesn't count because I'm giving you the categories, right? It's if these things come up organically or not <laughs> right. in the episode itself. But um, he put on things like, Lonesome Dove, Archipelago Books, um, Agatha Christie, of course. But I, I really like things like um, Trevor mentions that he still is reading the books of Jacob <laughs> <laughs> or Trevor's Dog Barks 
Or let's see, what's this one here? Paul mentions reading something bleak and depressing and euphemistically says, this wasn't the most light reading I could do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's several things here that I think are are a lot of fun. Even Trevor says archipelago books. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know if people would fill this out blackout anymore. I don't think I say that like that I think that one they could just eliminate. (laughs) Um, one of these will be easy today it's some sort of book prize shortlist is mentioned we'll certainly get that one that one in there but at any rate uh we could probably add at any rate to the list but it's not on there but thank you bill that was a lot of fun to look at um and we don't take ourselves seriously at all and and we recognize some of the things that we say and do on repeat i mean i think Mm. that's the nature of of our very (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> unprofessional uh, <laughs> gatherings, you know, that are hopefully a little bit more like just getting together with us uh, for a fun evening dinner or something like that, rather than us being on stage. So we're happy. And I will say, I'm glad that he did it as a bingo card or a bingo game instead of a drinking game. Cause I think we don't want any of our readers to get alcohol poisoning and that no. be a very real possibility. <laughs> no, or especially, I think a lot of people listen to this while they're in their cars well, driving it. or out on walks and, it's too dangerous. <laughs> right. <Yes>. right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Paul, let's go ahead and start with the, what have you been reading? Yeah. So I have been reading a few things as usual. Um, one of them is very timely because it actually has won some awards fairly recently. And so I'll start with that one. It's The Friend by Sigrid Nunez. Um, it won the National Book Award for Fiction a few years back. And, you know, I just finished it, actually. It's a really wonderful book. And I was going to say, this is an example of where I feel like sometimes we've talked about how the descriptions on a book, the the jacket copy or the prize winning language might do the book a disservice for certain readers. And I feel like when I read this description of the book, it's like, I don't think I would ever want to read that. But luckily, my wife read it and was like, no, I think you'd really <laughs> enjoy this. So she talked me into it. So the, the cover copy is a moving story of love, friendship, grief, healing, and the magical bond between a woman and her dog. Oh, that's not bleak enough for you. Is yeah, it? maybe that's the problem. Um, no, I don't know. There's something about that. I just, again, not bagging on any book, but it, I think of like Marley and me or something, you know, where it's like, yeah, I don't know, maybe. But fortunately, there's a lot more to it than that. It's a very interesting book. It's very literary. There's tons of, you know, references to authors and, and books, which is always something that I love. Um And there's also these prolonged sections that are focusing on, it is pretty bleak. There's, you know, basically uh, a friend and kind of mentor of hers has died, turns out by suicide. And um, so there's a lot of focus on her kind of unpacking that and dealing with that both through literature and just, you know, other ways throughout her life. Um, But the dog, you know, does play a very key role. She basically inherits this giant Great Dane from him. And at first, she's not a big fan of this whole idea, but slowly over time, he kind of wins her over. So there's definitely that element to it to kind of make it lighter. And there's some sweetness to it, but it does a nice job of kind of balancing the bleak with what could have been kind of a little bit maybe saccharine or something like that that might have turned me off. So anyway, just finish that up and it's really good. Enjoyed it very much. Um, And then I have also been, Trevor will be happy to know, making my way continuously through Lauren Isley. Um, those big, huge books of essays. That's um, a bingo. Uh, that, is. that and the yeah, peregrine is the on bingo. <laughs> yeah, I figured it wouldn't take me long. <laughs> what can I say? There's a reason some of these are on there. But yeah, it's just wonderful. I want to thank you again for recommending it. And anybody out there who loves, you know, nature writing that has a very poetic soul, like we've talked about. I mean, this 
man is a wonderful writer mm-hmm. in any sense of the word. Not only he has the academic chops to back it up, but just the language, especially in certain essays, the ones that focus more on him um, rather than where he's, you know, kind of taking you through the history of evolution or how it's been received or different things like that. Those are still wonderful. But in particular, for me, the ones I've been enjoying are the ones that focus on him, some of his experiences with nature, which are very personal um, and beautiful. So, yeah, that one. And then one more quick one. Just I did finish after our last episode, we were talking about creepy books. And one of the ones you mentioned was Thomas Tryon's The Others. And Mm -hmm. it had been on my shelf for so long, that NYRB classic and something finally prompted me in our conversation. You got me, you got me hooked. So I read that last week and (laughs) how you do it. You're not kidding. Oh man. I mean, (laughs) we talked about how, you know, I don't get scared per se by books, but as you would think mentioned, if, if you were going to get scared, this one's probably about as close as it's going to get for me. It was just very, very eerie, very (laughs) creepy, um, many layers to it. Um, Mm -hmm. so anyway, yeah, that was perfect. October reading everybody, I guess you only have two days, but if anybody has it on their shelf and they're looking to, by the time this comes out, it'll be too late, but I still think it would be a good fall read. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, or maybe for next year, but very good Halloween reading. I will say that. So thanks for the two recommendations, Trevor. Oh, well, that's great. I'm glad to have a a good influence and your wife is influencing you too. I know. That's great. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Lori, would you like to join in and and tell us uh, something that you've been reading? Sure. Um, would love to. Um, for our book club at Interabang, my, my bookstore, um, we're going to be talking on Tuesday about uh, A Heart So White by mm. Javier Moraes. Um, he's one of my very favorite authors. And as you guys know, um, too, too recently and too sadly um, deceased um, at a young age, I keep thinking of all the books that he probably still had in him, um, mm. even though he's left us with quite a few. So mm. I'm really looking forward to that. That was my second read of that novel, and it held up just as much in a second reading as it did in the first. And then kind of related, um, for a podcast that I ho- co-host with um, Sam Jordanson, uh, the publisher of Galley Beggar Press in the UK, um, that podcast is called Across the Pond. And... Um, we just spoke to Michael Hingston, who mm-hmm. wrote Try Not to Be Strange, The Curious History of the Kingdom of Redonda. Um, and that was published uh, very recently by Biblioasis in Windsor, Canada, one of my very favorite presses. Um, wow, what a wacky, wacky story. <laughs> and it has a nice um, cross-section with Javier Moraes because, as you guys probably know, he was the king of Redonda at the time that he died. That's awesome. Yeah. I think, did you get a copy of that, Paul? I did. Yeah. Yep. We we are going to be uh, highlighting Javier Murdias in episode 65, right? No, 55? Yeah, 55. So sometime in the spring or, or so. And we both got a copy of that book to to help us bone up on some of that fun backstory of, of him being, you know, royalty. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a fun book. That's exciting. I haven't started it yet, so I'm glad to hear that you guys enjoyed it. And listeners, by the way, I will have links to all of Lori's, um, you know, the bookstore, the podcast, the prize, the national book critics circle. A lot of this stuff um, will be links in the show notes, which you can get in our newsletter. So look for the newsletter. Uh, We will have links to subscribe to it in the description 
of the podcast. So whatever podcast app you're you're using, you should be able to go to it and find the links to our newsletter, which will give you links to all of this stuff. So, um, you know, we'll we'll make sure that you can find all of this because this is this is a lot of a lot of information. But it'll be fun to follow up on. <laughs> well, I'll just put in a quick plug, uh, Laurie. I was listening to a, I, I don't know, it was a fairly recent episode of your podcast, the one that was focusing on Jan Fossa's um, The Other. Uh-huh. And I just wanted to give in a plug. It's it's wonderful conversation. And you guys did a much better job. I tried to describe that book a few episodes ago. And I don't think I was nearly as eloquent as you you all were. Because that's a <laughs> tough one to talk about, at least for it's me it was. Really, it's really tough. And especially when you start talking about... Um, all of the very, very similar names. And then Mm -hmm. not only the similar names, but then the whole doppelganger aspect of it. I was just very um, relieved that we had the translator of that book, Damien Searles on with us because he could, he could uh, correctly pronounce all of the Norwegian names, which I probably (laughs) would have very much butchered. Right. Yeah, no, that's tough. And I think I might've, did I, I don't know if I said the right name um, of the series, but the first book is, is it the other name is the first one or the new name? A new name is the um, is the sixth and seventh okay. combined part of the septology. That's what we were talking septology. about. Yeah. There you yeah. Go. Perfect. Oh, well, fun stuff. <clears throat> well, I'm, I'm curious, Paul, uh, if you'll uh, be starting what I'm reading pretty soon, if you haven't already. Um, I got a copy of Cormac McCarthy's latest, uh, The Passenger. And I started it last night pretty late and I had the weirdest night afterwards. <laughs> I don't know if it was just because it was late and everything, but I, it was definitely influenced by how weird the first, you know, 30 or so pages of this book are in ways that are, uh, I'm going to have to reread them, I think, mm. to figure out how much of that was my, I mean, it was like I was reading uh, a little bit of Caesar Ira, you know, just things popping up that I'm like, how did that get there? What is going on now um, in this otherwise normal conversation that's going on? Uh, not normal, but, you know, at least I felt like I could follow it. And then it keeps veering off into weird places. And it's quite disturbing. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. It was nice to be back in the, you know, in the realm of, of uh, Cormac McCarthy. Um, This will sound familiar to you. Here's how it begins. It says, It had snowed lightly in the night, and her frozen hair was gold and crystalline, and her eyes were frozen cold and hard as stones. One of her yellow boots had fallen off and stood in the snow beneath her. The shape of her coat lay dusted in the snow, where she'd dropped it, and she wore only a white dress, and she hung among the bare gray poles of the winter trees, with her head bowed and her hands turned slightly outwards like those of certain ecumenical statues whose attitude asks that their history be considered, that the deep foundation of the world be considered where it has its being in the sorrow of her creatures. Mm. I I read that and thought, well, yeah, welcome back, back. (laughs) Cormac McCarthy. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm so excited. I... (laughs) You asked if I was reading it. I My birthday was recently. I had it on my birthday list and my wife was torn because she wanted to get it for me. But then she's like, but I saw in December they're having like the little box box set. set. And she's like, so she decided she made the executive decision to hold off. And Mm. she's like, just maybe don't buy them yet. Hint, hint, you know, kind of thing. (laughs) So I'm more than happy to wait despite being anxious. I figure I've waited whatever it's been a decade or whatever. So I can wait another, I can wait another couple months, but I'm glad to hear based on what 
your initial experience is that it's worth the wait. Well, and I don't know anything about it still, mm. <laughs> even having started it. I haven't read any reviews really, other than I I've saw that it's them. been getting a few positive ones out there. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what the book's about. I don't know the storyline. I don't. I don't. I don't know. So mm-hmm. it's been kind of interesting just to just to jump in. Yeah. Trevor, I, I I'll interject yeah. and say that you might not know what the book is about by the time you finish it either. I've read <laughs> it. I've read it. Um, <laughs> it starts out uh, being. I thought that I kind of knew or understood what the book was going to be about. And then it kind of takes a real shift that I wasn't expecting. Hmm. Sam Sachs um, at the Wall Street Journal reviewed both books um, this morning, actually. Um, And yeah, his his review helped me put it into context a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a very strange book. So I, I hope that you, your sleep will not be too troubled over the next week or so <laughs> while you're reading it. Well, it was just weird because here's this conversation between a man and a woman. I don't know who they are yet. Still, I have suspicions, but I don't really know. And it was just so weird. Do you remember that first one where they're talking and you're like, okay, I, I know I have footing. I know what's going on. This is a familiar scene. You know, someone... Somewhat, the woman's trying to leave, the man's there. And then you're like, are there people like eavesdropping? And then you're like, are there ghosts? And what is what what is going on? I, I can't, I couldn't put my finger on any of it. And and yet it was it was interesting. So we'll we'll see. We'll see how it all goes I, for me. I have to admit, selfishly, I'm kind of glad to hear that in some ways, because I as much as I loved like No Country for Old Men and some of those, I didn't know, and and maybe this isn't accurate but i didn't know which direction like it might hmm. go after so long you know because he has no country for old men is probably the most straightforward you know yeah book that he's written and i thought i had read that this could follow that path but then from you guys' description maybe not so much so i'll be yeah, very no. curious but i wouldn't mind if it did not go in that direction as much it's, as i enjoyed that book. i mean i i could even though i haven't read any more than that yeah, it is. It is not like No Country for Old Men. It is not one of his screenplay novels. Right, right, right. I mean, even though actually it's written very much so far, dialogue, mm-hmm. um, one one line after the other. But it's it's still. I mean, the man's talking about all these weird theories of physics and you know using big words and mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> I heard an ecumenical pretty early on. I was happy to hear. You know, he's <laughs> he hasn't ditched the yeah. thesaurus yet. So. No, no, no. No, it, it's it's quite chuck full so far, so good. So, but yeah, I'm anxious to see how these things go. Have you read the the um, the companion novella novel yet, Lori? I've not. No. Um, Are you I going am to? Interested. <laughs> I, I, I think that I will. Yeah, because I'm interested enough to see to try to feel the relationship between the two books. Um, hmm. The the writing of the passenger is is wonderful, is lovely, and. Um, one of the things that I really appreciated about the book is it is about big, scientific, complicated ideas, but then that's counterposed with this like really natural dialogue between the main character and his buddies. Um, <clears throat> and so it's, um, it's, it's a unique book. I'll put it that way. It, it felt to me, just what I've read, there's, there's some David Lynch in the, just the strangeness um, I've already mentioned some Caesar Ira, Thomas Pynchon. Mm. Um, it felt much more along those lines than any 
than really even his early work. You know, he didn't he didn't return to the just plain old dark heaviness mm-hmm. of the early work. Here, I say as if I know after thirty or forty pages. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Kind of so, what Laurie said earlier about Javier Maria's having so many books that you you always wonder what could have come type of a thing. I will admit for the last decade plus, I've been fearing that that would be the conversation I'd be having about Cormac McCarthy, just based on all these, there's been rumors about this book, the passenger that's been out there, you know, for so long. And Mm -hmm. you find these little, you know, corners of the internet where there are people debating it. And there's this manuscript (laughs) that was leaked or he read it at an award ceremony or whatever. And so I am glad no matter what it is, just if nothing else, there's going to be two more books at least from Cormac McCarthy, which makes me happy. So. Yeah. What is he? 89. I think yes. so. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if he takes as long to write the next one, that'll be that'll be something. Yeah. To to have a book published at 105 or so. <laughs> right. So, uh all right. Well, listeners, thanks for for following along so far. We are now going to turn to our uh main topic for the day, which is just book prizes. Um we could talk for hours about any one book prize, but I think it's also worthwhile to have a conversation about book prizes and what they mean to us. And we'll get into specifics for sure. I want to I want to understand more from Lori about the Republic of Consciousness Prize itself um, and how it has uh, migrated <laughs> over to the United States. And so, Lori, do you mind just kind of expressing to us just for a second, you know, you're part of the National Book Critics Circle, which has a prize. And... Uh, you know, I'm assuming that you like book prizes. I've I've judged the best translated book award with you. Um, what do book prizes mean to you? And then, if if you want, please carry that through to, you know, whatever led you to, uh, m- you know, get in touch or do whatever you needed to do to uh, get us this great UK prize in the US and Canada. Well, for me, I think book prizes are our discovery. It's a, it's a wonderful way to, um, to have someone kind of curate for you, um, the best of the best, right? You've got, um, all of these, um, great readers that are judging a book and they come up with a long list and then usually a short list. And, um, it's really fun for me to kind of in the process of waiting for, um, a short list to read some of the long list titles. I, I know I was, um, I used to be uh, in a kind of a, a informal group that we would try to um, predict which of the long listed books would make the International Booker Prize. And that was a lot of fun because you got to kind of um, read along with what the the judges were considering were the best books. And then you got to argue amongst yourselves or kind of fight a one-way fight, I guess, with the judges about like, you picked the wrong book as the winner. That's totally not <laughs> right. So, um, but really it is, it is a process of discovery, not just um, being on a, on a jury or a panel or a judging um, process to pick uh, what the best books are in whatever you're judging, but then also just as an outsider, as a reader, just an interested person. Um, one of the prizes that I follow a lot because I love what they stand for is the Goldsmiths Prize in the UK. And that's a prize um, for literature at its most novel. So they kind of pick quirky, kind of um, 
unconventional types of works. Um, one of the judges for the Goldsmiths this year is Allie Smith, one of my very favorite authors. And um, so that shortlist came out and I started reading from that shortlist immediately um, because it's I, I love her and I just love what that prize is all about. But how I got kind of hooked up with um, the Republic of Consciousness Prize was kind of a fluke. Um, my podcast partner, uh, Sam Jordanson, who I mentioned earlier, is the publisher of, of Galley Beggar Press in the UK. And we so we talk a lot about books that are coming out in the UK. Oftentimes, books by British authors are released in the UK, you know, maybe eight, nine months before they come mm -hmm. to the United States. Um, so I'm always looking, I'm reading the Guardian reviews pages and keeping an eye on what's coming out over there so that we can be informed about the guests on the show. And I just happened to mention um, the Republic of Consciousness Prize to Sam and uh, how much I admired that prize in the UK because it is a small press prize. That means that it's um, given to um, a, the money is awarded to a small publisher and um, there are different ways to define that. Um, but a small publisher that that publishes majority literary fiction books, adult literary fiction. And um, the the concept behind the prize is that you've got all these small publishers out there that are really taking creative and financial risks by banking all of their budget. A lot of these presses, including Sam's at Galley Beggar, like it's run out of their home by he and his wife. They're like, it's a two man show. They publish four books a year. And so when they decide to publish a book, like their whole livelihood kind of rests on placing a bet on that book and that that book is going to do well. And so the curation is just really careful the editing is always, I think, uh, a really um, uh, special and kind of unique thing. The way they work with the with the authors and um, these small presses are often the least financially capable people of of taking this risk. And so, the Republic of Consciousness Prize was founded in 2017 in the UK by Neil Griffiths, and. I just reached out to Neil Griffiths and I said, hey, um, this is who I am and I've long admired your prize and um, I'm assuming that someone has talked to you in the past about bringing it to North America. And I was astounded when he replied back to me very nicely and said, I really appreciate your email, but no, no one has ever really seriously talked to me about that. And I said, let's seriously talk about that. <laughs> and we did. And it took about a year to kind of get set up and we um, we launched a press release um, end of last year. We started the submission process so that small presses could nominate one title for a book published in uh, 2022, um, a, a work of adult literary fiction. We have a little bit of a different definition of eligible small presses here in the U United States and Canada than Neil uses, but for purposes of of uh, my prize, it we're we're making it uh, open to small presses that publish no more than eighteen titles a year. That way, we think that we're getting like the small presses that really need um, the help from a financial perspective, and the not just financial, but we're hoping 
we're hoping to promote, you know, the work of small presses. And you'll see um, if you go to the website for the prize, there's a there's a blog that we talk about. Um, for instance, um, famous authors that you know that got their start with small presses, um, like Marlon James and uh, like Nell Zink, um, and I could go on and on with that, uh, Kate Zambreno, all these authors that are with big, big presses today, but really owe their careers to small presses. That's exciting. I mean, just having you talk about the work that some people do, the passion that mm-hmm. they, they feel towards their work is is exciting. And it's so nice to have this press come to the U.S. because you know, I love a lot of U.S. prizes, but the U.K. does seem to have these kind of little quirky, quirky is the wrong word, is that it almost makes it sound whimsical or not serious, even though they very much are. But I guess different that they're focused on um, experimental uh, elements, you know, like with the goldsmiths or the small presses with the, the Republic of Consciousness. And so that's just exciting. And so what what's the what's the horizon for the Republic of Consciousness Prize for the U.S. and Canada um, in terms of when will we hear a little bit more about what's been nominated? Are you doing a prize? You, you said you got nominations for 2022. Um, what's what's happening now and, and when will when will some of this come to to our attention that we can get that that long list or, or is it just going to be a short list and say time to go and find these books <laughs> no we will have a long list so the submissions window closes november 30th so you know in about a month um the judges are are reading furiously we've got a great set of judges one of my goals for this prize is to each year have a majority of the judges be booksellers and in independent bookstores because I think that booksellers have a unique uh, role and responsibility to bring small press literature to uh, readers. Um, Lots of readers don't understand. I know before I started reviewing books, um, I never paid attention to who published the book I was reading. I followed authors, but I didn't follow presses. And what I really would be so happy for is if um, customers at my store and stores all over the country were able to uh, get readers to pick favorite publishers. Um, I think lots of people like like you guys, Trevor and Paul, you know who your favorite presses are because you're very embedded in the book world. But it, a lot of people don't really pay attention to that. And um, I think that can be a really um, great discovery because you you kind of get used to the type of books that New Directions is publishing, you know, and the list that they curate for every every year that they publish. And so I think that's a nice way to discover new books. But in addition to um, having two fellow booksellers on the jury this year, we also have um, the author Ben Fountain, who's a, a fellow um, Dallasite um, <laughs> and uh, a great author, um, he wrote Billy Lynn's um, Long Halftime Walk. And um, and so he's judging as well. So we're reading furiously right now. The long list will be announced in January. Uh, the short list, I'm thinking probably uh, beginning of March, and then the winner will be announced at the end of March for the 2022 award. Cool. Exciting. I hope I'm on your press mailing list. 
<laughs> I don't know if there's, I don't know if I signed up for something to, to get that. Like if there was a spot on your website to get that, or at least something to get press releases. Cause I would love yeah. to, to be right on the front of, of hearing about these. <laughs> yes. Thanks for mentioning that. There is an email sign up that you can get, um, get news and updates from our blog. Excellent. Excellent. Um, Oh, I mean, I have so many questions that I, I don't feel like I can ask you because I've, I've now jumped into some questions that, again, I, I'm not even going to ask you, but just, you know, I, I am anticipating mm-hmm. which of these books are you already so excited to share with people? You know, what are what are the conversations that are already going on? But again, I, I'm not asking, I'm not saying that because I want you to answer, you know, um, I, it's just that's that's so exciting. And I know that there are going to be some of these that I've never heard of even the presses that you guys will cover. So I'm, uh, I'm very excited. Thank you. I, I, I think it's, it's, it's been exciting. It's a cool project. Um, and we do have some of the books that have been nominated so far, um, on our podcast. We're running a, a an occasional series while, where we're bringing translators or authors of some of those books onto the podcast. And that's been fun too. And that, that actually brings up another point. So this is not just an English language, like a or, or language of origin prize. Uh, if a small press publishes books in translation, you consider those as well? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, we've had several nominations of translated books so far. And that's great. I, I guess mm-hmm. it makes sense since your prize, I mean, it is about the book, the, you know, the books, but... Uh, talk to talk to us a little bit more about how the prize money goes out because I thought this was fascinating and really awesome. Um, again, it's not just a winner takes all to the to the author. Um, it's something quite different. Yeah, we wanted to spread the money around because we're coming from the perspective that these small presses need our help not only um, just in in buying and reading and talking about their books, but also financial help. So the prize purse this year um, is $35,000 and it will be distributed. um, The $10,000 of that will be distributed to, um, to the small presses, uh, the 10 that make the long list. And then the five from the long list that make the short list will get an additional $15,000 dollars amongst them. And then the, um, the, the winner just kind of takes the, uh, takes the, I guess the honor of being called the winner. We're, and we're, we're hoping to get, you know, that little cool stamp that would go on the cover of the book that would say winner of the 2022 Republic of Consciousness prize. But basically it's just bragging rights for the winner, but by virtue of being the winner, you will get some money too, because you would have been on the long list and the short list. I, I just think that's such a cool way of of celebrating and and making sure that everybody who who gets on the list benefits from it. Um, that's I, I I love that. Yeah, uh, me too. Go ahead, Paul. I, I think I keep cutting you off. Do you have no, any? No, no. I was just going to say I, I love the spirit of the prize. Like like you were saying, the fact that you're spreading it around and it and it seems like in many ways a celebration. I mean, there is a contest as, aspect to it. But the fact that, like you said, the money is distributed throughout the process and the way that you guys are doing it, I really think is perfect for this whole idea of raising up the smaller presses and those authors and translators and different people who are involved with those smaller presses. Because like you were saying, often, just like with the publishers, it's such a 
you know, an act of passion, you know, so many, whether it's the, the translators, the authors, you know, many people are in this for the love of literature and for everything that it stands for, you know, so the fact that you're spreading it out and, and doing as much as you can, I think is, is perfect. Um, I do want to move on and, and talk about book prizes in general, some more and tell stories uh, about, you know, some of our favorites and some of these experiences. But before I do that, Lori, is there anything else you wanted to, to hit on with this? I don't think so. I, I really appreciate you guys having me on the show and also the fact that you'll um, make the links available yeah. um, to folks uh, where they can get on the website and, and read about the prize and the judges and follow the blog. Um, and yeah, I just encourage everyone to kind of get excited about it. We, we are planning um, after the long list is, is announced to have a kind of a, a zoom party with um, mm. all of the long listed authors and publishers and translators that the public will be invited to attend as well. So um, that'll, that should be fun. That's something that they've been doing in the UK now for a few years. And I've participated in that just as a, <laughs> a spectator. And that's been real fun. That's cool. <laughs> that That is a lot of fun. All right. Well, uh, on book prizes in general, I mean, it's a part of our bingo thing for a reason. Paul and I do bring them up uh, periodically. Um, and they've, they used to be a bigger part of my reading uh, life than they are now. I, I do, as Lori, as you kind of mentioned, I probably follow publishers more than I follow book prizes specifically uh, these days, but there are still so many book prizes that I owe a lot to and the, the good that comes from them, you know, again, especially the spirit of celebration. Um, But it's been an interesting journey for me. I'll just kind of go into that. There was, I remember the first year that I decided I'm going to read the whole Booker prize long list. This was in 2008. I had just started uh, the Mooks and the Gripes blog. And when the long list was announced, I, I got all of the books, including importing them from the UK if they weren't available in the US. Man, that was oppressive. <laughs> I had the hardest time with that. Um, the book, the Booker Prize had a really good forum on their own website at the time. That's where I got to know a lot of uh, people that I still am in touch with. And at the time, you know, we're, we're reviewing these books. John Self is doing the same thing. Um, I think Stuart McCabney was also reviewing the whole um, the whole list. Simon Savage, you know, I, I kind of going back to those earlier days. And I just remember after four or five books thinking, I'm just not on the same page as these judges. They're clearly wrong, you know, and, all <laughs> this stuff. and just by the end, I felt kind of done in with the prize. And, and I know it's a little bit of a cliche that it's about the people you met along the way. But I still look back on that year as one of my favorite reading years ever, even though I didn't like very many of the books at all, let alone, um, you know, the whole long list or, and, you know, I don't even remember what won that year. Um, it was, oh, it was the, the tiger one, the white tiger. Um, mm. That that's the, 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 was the winner that year. And it was a kind of a painful process when it came to just the, the books themselves. Again, they just didn't speak to me. I just wasn't on the, on the same page. And that's something I think happens with um, prizes, but you know, judges change every year have different things that they're going to go for. The the prize itself might have its ethos, but the, you know, the judges are going to do different things. Um, but again, 
I loved that experience. You know, it was like three or four months of just getting on, reading books, chatting about them with other people. And that's one thing I love about book prizes too, is it focuses our attention for a time on books that some of them are out of print already, you know, Mm. um, have been out of print basically since they were on the Booker Prize uh, long list back then. And yet um, I still have these friendships and and good good memories of just chatting about these books that really probably none of us were super passionate about mm-hmm. <laughs> at the time. Um, but I will say I've never, I've never dove in and read the whole long list again, <laughs> in spite of that. <laughs> yeah. I can't say, cause I was in those circles, at least on some other forums and things around that time. And I, I will admit I've never had the urge to dive in and do the whole long list thing. I've definitely been much more choosy, but I would kind of echo what both of you have said about, one, one of the things I love is just the celebration and the passion and the debate mm-hmm. and all the excitement. Like these are the hot new books that just came out or, or here's why they're buzzing. But one thing I was going to bring up that I've also really valued about prizes over the years is almost kind of the long, or I'm sorry, the backlist aspect of it. Like yeah. there are times where I will go back just through whether it's the Pulitzer, the Booker, the Nobel. And it's a really good way to kind of look back and discover old books that you aren't aware of. And so, you know, I had a friend of mine who he kind of got back into reading after a period off and he kind of wanted to, you know, not necessarily read the great books with the capitalized G and B, but like along those lines of just find out like, what are some of these foundational books through time? And one of the ways that he did that was to kind of go back through some of the, the book prizes and you can kind of pick out through the years and watch trends and things like that. So I, I just wanted to bring that up. Not only can it be the excitement of like what's happening right now, but I do think, for me at least, there's a lot of value in going back and looking through the years. And, you know, on Wikipedia and elsewhere, you can find at least a short list of most of these prizes and, and often mm-hmm. some of the other books that were nominated and clear back for decades if, if the prize has gone on that long. And I think that's a fun way to to not only find old books, but also kind of watch trends in literature. And, and you know, there's like the white male years, but then you can start to see these transformations happening where it mm-hmm. becomes much more interesting and diverse, just things like that. So something else that I enjoy about prizes. Do you guys remember the um, the website book slot? Mm-hmm. Jessica Crispin, well, she did this cool thing and I participated for a few years where I think it was the Pulitzer Prize, but she would she would have people read and review um, the, the books that were either shortlisted or longlisted for the prize, but that didn't win 50 years ago. So each year she'd Mm -hmm. go back 50 years. Um, and I think I was involved in it when we were looking at like 1965, I think. Um, and that was really a fun exercise. Like you said, Paul, just to kind of, um, (laughs) go back. And I discovered, I discovered great books and authors that I'd never heard of, um, because, it's sad, but so often we, you know, we're not reading the stuff, even the winners that, mm-hmm. you know, from 50 years ago anymore. Yeah. No, it's, mm-hmm. an, I, I like what you said about, it's not always the winner and often it's not the winner for me, but often on the short list or even on the long list, you'll discover these gems. And even if you don't necessarily agree with the judge's decision for the winner, there's so many interesting books that are just kind of circulated through that. So yeah, that's a really cool idea. I like that. And I know other people have done like, through the years, like each year or, or a couple times per year, they'll, they'll go back and read, you know, now we're going to do 1965, now 66, 67. I, I just all this excitement that these kind of prizes can generate, I think is really valuable. 
And then didn't the Booker Prize, they did the best, the best of the Booker on their 50th anniversary, mm-hmm. right? And I yeah. think, I think Salman Rushdie's Mid- Midnight's Children won like the best of the Booker for like the first 50 years of the Booker's running. That was, that was a fun exercise too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. They did the Lost Booker, which we brought up a few episodes ago because it was J.G. Farrell's Troubles that mm-hmm. won that too, where they really went back, you know, 50 years or 40 years, I guess, probably at that time um, to their beginnings when they changed some of the, some of the dates. And so some books were ineligible for the booker any year. And so they went back and and corrected that. (laughs) And, and, uh, you know, even though some of the authors, uh, I think a few of the authors were no longer with us, they, uh, you know, still had their books up and, and I read, I did read that, that whole list. And that was a lot of fun. Mm. That was a good experience. I mean, I think that brings up an interesting thing that I was thinking about with prizes. It's the whole idea of kind of the zeitgeist and the hot new thing versus timelessness. And like, you know, when you're talking about a prize, I don't know if, I mean, I don't think there's a right answer, but do you have any thoughts on those two kind of, they're not combating, but those two complementary things of like, maybe when you're judging, you know, for a prize, how much do you think the judges would consider, you know, I'm thinking of like um, Goon Squad, for example, which... I'm not going to say mm-hmm. that it's not going to be around forever, but in some ways I feel like that one was like a very timely, important book that may or may not, you know, be talked about in 50 years. So there's mm-hmm. something like that, but then there's some of these other ones that have much more of a timeless feel. Like you, you just pretty much think, you know, people are going to be talking about this for years. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts, but that's just one thing I think about sometimes of looking back at these lists, you'll see somewhere clearly it might've been considered a book <laughs> of its time versus some of these that we still talk about all the time. So, Oh, for sure. I think that's a big, a big pitfall to, to that. I, I'm sure judges are trying mm-hmm. um, to, to, to figure out which books are, are speaking to us today, but we'll go, go on. But I will say I, I felt a little bit spoiled and Lori, I wonder if you did the same. The nice thing about the best translated book award when I was, I just judged that one year, it was the 2016 books. And those books were published throughout time. You know, we, we were we were judging books that were written a century ago and or books that were written within the last 10 years as well. And they had already gone through a few steps, right? They had to be both published in their own language and then uh, translated by someone who enjoyed the, the book or at least, um, you know, commissioned by a publisher who enjoyed the book and then kind of go through these vetting things. And so I never felt like we were just getting a bunch of books trying to talk about, you know, 2016. Um, they, there were some timely books um, for sure. Uh, but it was, it felt a lot more of that timelessness was, was just part of the package with that one. But I imagine doing th- something like the Pulitzer would be a lot more tricky that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I guess, I guess I did best translated book award, uh, twice on the judging 2016 with you, Trevor, and then 2017 and mm-hmm. 2017, um, our winner is one of probably my, my favorite books ever. And I was so happy that it won cause it's the one I was pushing for. <laughs> it's, um, Chronicle of the Murdered House by Lucio yeah. Cardoza. And that is such a terrific book, but it was published in Brazil, I think 50 years before mm-hmm. it was translated by Margaret, uh, Joel Costa and, uh, Robin, uh, Patterson, um, 
in, in, into English and, and published by Open Letter Press in 2017 in the English translation. But um, that's a book, man, I don't know why it took so long to get to the U.S. and to the into English language, but that's an incredible read. I loved that one too. That was our year. Um, maybe I'm talking oh, wrong okay. years, but uh, yeah. So, but yeah, that was the one we were we were both on. That was my choice too. Everybody, great, great. <laughs> You've got great taste, Trevor. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I don't think anyone would mind us saying that was a pretty unanimous uh, winner by the end. I mean, we talked about all the books, and I think people would have. It may have not have been their first choice, but by the end, it was something no one said no to. Right. Um, so yeah, that was, that was fun. It's not always, I think that, that, um, uncontested, I know in the national book critics circle, um, that's an elected position and I'm in my final year, my sixth year, and I'll be bounced off the board, um, (laughs) for, for being, um, you know, too much around, uh, exactly. (laughs) But, um, but we get into some real, knock down dirty. I mean, it never gets physical. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that, that can get really, really heated because people are really passionate about, you know, what they love and why they love it. And it can be really hard to kind of find, I think a compromise or, uh, you never want to say really that you're compromising when you're, when you're talking about something as important to book lovers as like the best book of the year in that particular genre. But you know, sometimes it's um, it's really hard to come up with a winner. <laughs> you know, our year was so um, friendly and people were, you know, among the judges. I just remember the backlash when we didn't long list Arno Schmidt's Bottom's Dream of, of a few people. And, and I get where they're coming from. That work of translation is... An, an, a work of astounding wonder and genius to even have translated that book. But we had our reasons for saying, look, I can't even read this thing. You know, there's something going on here. And I, I remember I'd read probably about 200 pages of it by the time people were starting to talk about whether we just needed to put it on. And I'm like, well, I, I can't imagine have, you know, when I go to the best translated book award long list, I'm looking for books that I can go buy and read, you know, not a, something that I, I get for my desk that I might take me the rest of my life to, to, to get through because I can't tell you what's going on in this 200 pages that I've read. <laughs> and it, it's amazing that it exists, but I'm not, I don't know if it fits what we're going for with something that is both a great translation and a great story, you know, something that readers where we're, we're really giving readers uh, a benefit. So we talked about the, you know, what is this prize for? Um, and, and kind of said, well, it, it isn't necessarily just about the best translation or some, the, the, the most wonder that you get by looking at someone's work and going, holy cow, what is, <laughs> what is that? But there was something different with the best translated book award. And so that's why we went out, out that way. But boy, talk about uh, a, a mini, a mini backlash of, uh, of all of that. And, you know, I still stand by, by our decision and, and, uh, throughout the whole, the whole process, though, I suppose it could have been on the 25, but it, it got its, it got its nominations too. But, um, but that was what I remember from that year, but amongst us judges, I feel like it was here, here are some of my favorites and, and people were, we, we were all readers, right? We were all excited to, to hear from each other about what we were enjoying and, and get into that. 
Um, but I, I didn't, I didn't ever sign up for that one again. Cause I also found it quite overwhelming to get that many boxes of books in the mail and, and have to get through them. I, I, that, that actually took me a while to recover from, um, and be able to read again. And I don't know, Trevor, maybe you or Paul do, but I'm not sure they're doing the best translated book award anymore. No, they, they are not. And I don't know what it might turn into. I've, I know that they aren't doing it and that I think they've kind of battled, bat, you know, batted around some ideas for um, maybe next steps and things like that. But I don't know any details. But yeah, it's not happening um, at this point in time, which is sad. I loved, you know, mm-hmm. I loved getting that long list and and looking at those uh, books that that got helped me get to know publishers that were working in, you know, translated literature. Um, but I'm just excited for the Republic of Consciousness Prize that will have uh, have all of all of the riches. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited. I keep re- repeating myself, but the small press aspect of that because there are so many wonderful small presses out there, mm-hmm. and as much as I spend time just you know on the internet and Twitter and everywhere else, like obsessing over this stuff, I'm still amazed how many times I come across either a press or a book or an author that I'm like I don't know who this is or what this is. And so I think any outlet that you can have, that's just giving exposure to all these wonderful people who are doing these amazing things. I know I'm selfishly very excited about it. So. Well, Paul, I have a question for you. I put you on the spot. Oh, okay. Do, do you, have you ever had any traditions circle around uh, book prizes? Cause I'll tell you the end of July for years was just getting getting geared up for the Booker Prize long list for me. Mm-hmm. And the Pulitzer, I don't do this anymore, but I used to wait for the winner to be announced. And if I hadn't read it yet, I'd go to the bookstore and pick it up and, and read it. You know, that was the next book I was reading. I don't do that anymore because, again, it, it's not quite as directed that way. But have you ever had any any um, traditions or anything that yeah. stands out to you? I would say... Not traditions necessarily, but right around that same time, I know I talk about this time period a lot, but it was very formative for me when we mm-hmm. were on a an online forum out of the UK called Palimpsest, and it's where I met you know Trevor and John Self and so many other people, and there was so much buzz around the Booker in particular around that time that I think that was when I was by far the most engaged. And so when I look back at the winners over the years of the Booker Prize in particular, there's definitely a time period right there in the probably the early to mid, you know, like from like 2005 to maybe 2012 or 15, where I can definitely tell how much that prize influenced my reading, both the long list and the winners. So that would probably be the closest one that I can think of. Um, Like I said, for me, a lot more of it, I find is just going back through the lists when I'm kind of thinking about like, you know, looking for some, some books from the eighties that I might not know about or whatever the case may be. I tend to go that way, I think more, but yeah, as far as just a, an annual tradition, I would say kind of around that same time period that you were talking about is where that was probably the biggest influence on me. And I would say the Pulitzer mm-hmm. and and the Booker were the two at that time that were most on my radar. But do you have uh, a do you have a okay. sense of like prize season, which is kind of what we're in right now? You know, with the National Book Award, then we're going to get mm-hmm. the National Book Critics Circle Award lists. We got the pen book lists, kind of all coming together with the Pulitzer in yeah. April. Do you, do you, does that, does that hit your calendar ever? And I'm not asking cause it should, I'm, I'm just, mm-hmm. again, it's I mean, been such a part of, of my way of thinking about the year that I I'm yeah, curious. I don't know actually that now that you mentioned that, I don't know that I actually have ever thought of it in that way. For me, I guess maybe I'm more serendipitous where 
just because of the bookish circles that I run in, it just kind of falls <laughs> into my lap, which I'm, I'm spoiled. Um, so very much when it comes onto my radar, I'm paying attention and start jotting down titles and looking them up. But I don't know that I actually really think of it as kind of an annual thing to look forward to, which mm-hmm. is kind of weird. What about you, Lori? I, I mean, I asked Paul about, you know, any, any traditions or memories you are very involved in, in multiple um, traditions yourself, just as someone who is, is, is part of the traditions that other people might have, but is there anything, you know, that, that led you to this, that, that makes it so that this is, um, this is where you're at? Um, you know, I just, I, I just think it's, um, part of it was curiosity on my part in terms of wanting to, to, to judge some prizes, you know, kind of, how does this really work? You know, mm-hmm. um, and it's, it, it, it does work a little differently. I've noticed like for each, uh, jury of different prizes that I've been on. Um, and that can be interesting. And even as you mentioned, Trevor, even with, um, even like with MBCC now, you know, in my sixth and final year of judging it, each year is different depending on, because we have different judges, different board members um, each year that roll on and off the board. So, um, and the books too change, but it's changed a little bit for me, I have to say, being a book buyer for an indie bookstore because, um, oh God, it's such a fun job because I get (laughs) all of these publishers catalogs, you know, and I can see what's coming out, you know, eight months from now and just, you know, it's, um, it's it's a little bit like being a kid that um, is not only in a candy shop, but like their parents own the candy shop. And so you're just like in the candy shop (laughs) all the time, gorging on all of the sweets because, um, you know, I, 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 my eyes are always bigger than my stomach, so to speak, in terms of like all the books that I want to read, because I just get excited about seeing, (laughs) seeing what's coming out all the time. I would just be curious based on that real fast how much time do you get to read like backlist or older books? Or do you find yourself always drawn both due to your position and the fact that you're judging to the new, you know, again, I know that like we've talked about some of these books that are put up for prizes have been published in the past and especially in their original languages. But like, do you ever have that battle of like every new catalog that comes out is dominating your reading list? Whereas you're like, Oh, but I would like to get back to some of those books that were published five, 10, 15 years ago. Paul, you're on to one of my favorite topics um, because <laughs> because I think that just as a society we privilege the the new books mm-hmm. um, over like the timeless books, like you were talking about before, in terms of judging an award, like the consideration of you know will this book still be around in fifty years and the timelessness element of it. So much of what we buy, um, front list as book buyers, um, is just flash in the pan. And I don't, I don't mean that any disrespect to the publishers or to the authors, but you know, you hear so much hype about you know this book, um, you know, and it's it's got all these like crazy comparisons to, you know, like. Faulkner and, you know, just kind of like really um, monumental books. And so often they just, they just fade away. You know, you bring in like a stack of eight of them and put them in the 
front new fiction table of the store and, you know, they might get gobbled up because it's the cool new book that everybody's reading, but no one's going to remember these books Mm. in a decade or longer. And um, so that's why I feel really passionately about the backlist. I love, that's, that's my favorite thing to do with um, the store is bringing in a solid backlist because I think any good independent bookstore, you judge it on their backlist, right? I mean, um, just to go into a good bookstore and to see a book, you know, oh, I remember reading something about that book, you know, sometime a while ago and I was curious about it and I can't believe, you know, I'd forgotten all about it, but here it is and I've got the opportunity to buy it here. And um, yeah, I think that the, the backlist is just is just so special and I've often thought about something that, I mean, you guys through your podcast do a great job probably of, of kind of highlighting those backlist books, but I wish there was some kind of more organized effort that we could do. I don't know, maybe like a backlist prize. I have no idea how you would define that or, or, you know, kind of structure that, but something that would kind of um, get everyone's attention on a book that was published 30 years or longer ago again, or Mm. maybe it never had the recognition it deserved. (laughs) A lot of, you know, New York review of books in terms of reissuing, um, the McNally editions that McNally Jackson's doing now, they're doing a good job of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, Virago um, Press um, in the UK, but yeah, some of those, some of those older books, those are the books I get excited about putting in customers' hands. Yeah. I have have to take a really quick break here to ask Bill, our bingo master, does it count for backlisted, if I know you meant the podcast, <laughs> but we're talking about backlisted books, like does that do people get to check that one off of their bingo cards when we're you know talking backlisted? And if 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 there were something <laughs> that, that could highlight these backlisted books, I don't know. Bill, Bill, get with us on that. We'll we'll hold <laughs> we'll hold judging until after you've uh, you've come to us with that. But, <laughs> but no, I, I that this is fun, you know, and and. I was just looking here because I went to the King's English a few months ago here in Salt Lake and I found Elizabeth Bowen's The House in Paris on the shelf. I wouldn't find that at most bookstores, you know, so it is fun to to go in and, and find these old books. It's kind of cool that you have a, a foot in both parts where you are highlighting the new so much, both with your bookstore, but with your, you know, your roles on these juries, but also your role as a bookseller in not letting the the gems just fade away, you know, as best you can. Well, and what you said about that being what separates some indie book, bookstores. I mean, for me, that's absolutely true. Like I, I value any indie bookstore there is, obviously, but there are the ones where you kind of know what you're going to find. And as you go through, you're not really surprised by anything, but there are the bookstores, like I recently mentioned, the, the Writer's Block in Las Vegas. And I walked into that bookstore with fairly, you know, just modest expectations. I thought it would just be kind of your, you know, your standard books that you see in a lot of bookstores. And I was just floored by the backlist, the translated fiction, the the indie and small publishers that were available. So when you do stumble across one of those bookstores, at least for me, I'm, I, it just takes my breath away. I'm like, I can't believe I, like, I've seen this book online, but I, it's sitting right there. Like they actually have it on their shelves. It's like... <laughs> You know, I get all <laughs> dorky about it, but um, yeah. So, like you said, it's amazing when you can find. You can tell there's certain 
book buyers, I think is obviously what it is, curators who either, you know, are the perfect fit for you, but also just they, they kind of know that whole backlist and, and which ones to bring in. So it's so fun to find those. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. I mentioned at the beginning of the show, this series that I did for LitHub called In Context. And so often, you know, I would start the article, you know, highlighting the new book by the author. But some of these authors, like I remember Edna O'Brien, when I did her, I she had a backlist of 19 books that I read. And, um, and kind of consecutively, it was just a a storm of Edna O'Brien, but what a storm. But um, like her very favorite book for me, you know, was not the new book or even mm-hmm. like the first of the three most recent books that she did. It was it was one of the way back books, The House of Splendid Isolation. If you haven't read it, strongly recommend it. And um, yeah, so it's just those books that no one talks about anymore that are just mm. so thrilling to find. Yeah. I mean, Trevor, I don't want to jump on your, uh, if you had a question, but I was going to say before we go, we should just, in my opinion, speaking of those types of books, like I was thinking across prize winners through the years, like if each of us had a second to just list a few, you know, none of our episodes are complete without giving our listeners, you know, 400 books to jot down. Oh man. (laughs) I I was sitting here thinking just now, the show notes aren't going to be too bad on this episode. <laughs> uh, here we go. <laughs> yeah. I want to make sure your carpal tunnel is firing on all cylinders. No, uh, we don't no, have to I go into that, too much detail, but I, I think just, that's a great idea. Part of it's selfish because I just hearing that book that you just recommended, I'm like, okay, I got to jot that one down. But what else? What else? What else? So are you asking for like favorite books that we discovered through prizes, whether prize winner or... Yeah, or I mean, that's just, what I was thinking. I mean, I could just give an example like... When that friend of mine that I mentioned, who was kind of going back through older Pulitzer and Nobel lists and things like that, he put a book onto my radar, which I had not heard of before, which is um, William Kennedy's Ironweed. Mm -hmm. And uh, it won the Pulitzer. I should have, I don't know if I have the details of it right in front of me. Um, Yeah, it won the 1984 Pulitzer Prize and the National Book Critics Circle Award for Fiction. And so, you know, he's a pretty well known, like you still see him around and everything, but there's just some of those books where I read this book and, you know, it's about this guy who's kind of returning to his hometown after having ditched his family for some very serious reasons. And he's kind of in this vagrant, I think in in this book, they call him a bum, but, you know, kind of in this community of homeless people. And he's running with some of the ignored people in society, the, the prostitutes and the homeless and things like that. And it's just a really fascinating book because he's kind of dealing with these ghosts of the past and things like that. So just, I was just thinking examples like that, where that one would never probably have crossed my path, except that this friend discovered it through the list of Mm. old Pulitzer Prize winners and put it on my radar. So I just thought that was kind of fun. Um, And again, not trying to put anybody on the spot. I have a couple more I can talk about if you guys are brainstorming, but Lori, do you have any? I am brainstorming. (laughs) I'm brainstorming too. I mean, there's certainly books that I discovered lots of books that I've discovered through being, you know, uh, judging and looking at, at prize lists. Um, the, the ones that I'm thinking of though, are kind of, are kind of newer books. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a great backlist discovery that I've made recently, we, t- we did it uh, for our book, our book club in the store is uh, William Maxwell's The Chateau. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really great book. And I really didn't know much about William Maxwell, but the New York Times book review, um, I think it's A.O. Scott maybe that's doing, or maybe it's not him. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I probably got that wrong. But they're they're doing like an occasional series, maybe once quarterly, where they're looking back at a, a seminal American author and just kind of talking about that author and their work. And there was... There was one of these long articles on William Maxwell, and it really drew me to to his work, and um, and that that was a really great find that I that I made this year. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, one I, I wonder if I might steal it from you, Paul, is Paul Harding's Tinkers. I hadn't heard of that book, and don't think I would have had it not won the Pulitzer back in two thousand ten. But I that was when I was like, oh, I'll go out and buy it. Then I remember mm-hmm. picking up this tiny. Not it's not shaped the same as you know. It's it looks like a a different kind of book and yeah, almost really like a book of poetry or something. Yeah. 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 I really, really enjoyed getting to know that one. I did the same with Elizabeth Strout the year before with all of Kitteridge and she's remained mm-hmm. someone that I, I love seeing what she's coming out with every year, including this, this year being on the Booker prize list, um, possibly up for awards, you know, that, that you'll be judging, uh, Lori, <laughs> um, uh, both this year. And I think next, I think she's got more coming out as well. Um, but one that I'll I'll talk about uh, just on this would be uh, Cloud Atlas. Mm. Uh, I know that you're not the biggest fan, Paul, and I don't know how I would feel today. Um, but this David Mitchell book was published in 2004. At least that's the year it was up for the Booker Prize. And I may have mentioned this back when we were talking about these authors everyone else loves but me, because mm-hmm. <laughs> you brought him up. But I just remember being in a taxi cab in London and I had just gone to pick up the shortlist for the Booker Prize, at least a couple of the books. And one of them was Cloud Atlas, and I hadn't read it yet. And the taxi driver was saying it's his favorite of the year, you know, favorite favorite book on the long list and thinking, well, I'm really excited to read this. And then just being, you know, swept away with it. I really mm-hmm. did enjoy that book and how 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 unique it was to me, you know, maybe not to to others in the know, but at that time for me, this was a pretty unique premise and weird. And I still don't know if it had any purpose to its structure, you know, that, that goes deeper. Um, but I, I just really enjoyed that. And that remains one of my favorite book prize memories and discoveries. And they're linked, you know, in my mind, the memory is, is definitely part of that. Uh, why I, I consider that book kind of an important book prize book in my mind. Well, what, I think you mentioned this when you brought it up before, but like, how exciting is that? Like talking about the power of book prizes where you just happen to get into the taxi yeah. cab and you're both talking about this book prize and everything. Like, how exciting is that? Why does everyone seem to get the taxi drivers that, that talk about <laughs> books with them? I, I read about, I read people's columns where they're like, yeah, I was getting these recommendations from the taxi drivers. Like, I never get those taxi drivers or Uber drivers. It never has happened to me in the U.S. And when I lived in Lond- or in uh, New York, I never, never did that happen. Yeah. Um, but And I didn't ride the taxi very often in London. But I mm. imagine there it's every day. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. <laughs> Talk, talking Dickens, Dickens with the cabbie. And, yeah. <laughs> Well, just, I mean, real quickly, I'll just throw in a couple more and they're, they're more recent, but um, one that won the, at the time it was the Bailey's Women's Prize for Fiction is Imir McBride's A Girl is a Half-Formed Thing. Uh, It's 2013. mm -hmm. Oh man, that book, I just, I still think about it so often. Um, And so that one was one that absolutely would never have made it onto my radar without that prize and the buzz surrounding it. And I was so glad that 
it did. Um, and who just, who published who published that one? Galley Beggar Press there you go. in the UK. <laughs> yep. And I was going to say that. But and then her, Coffee House, I think, in the U.S. Maybe. Her her novel, The Lesser Bohemians, is fantastic as well. I'm glad you mentioned that because I feel not guilt because I don't ever want to feel book guilt. But I, as much as I loved A Girl Is a Half Form Thing, I have The Lesser Bohemians. I bought it as soon as it came out, and I have yet to read it. So you repress your book guilt. You don't want to feel it, but you do. Exactly. I'm sensing it. It's coming Now, out. if I felt guilt for every book that I am excited about reading that haven't yet read, I would probably just implode or something. So there's just no <laughs> point. Uh, but yeah, one more quick one that uh, a recent winner, fairly recent winner was Anna Burns' Milkman. Yes. Oh, man. That I was another one. I read that one. Yeah. There was oh, something. I think Trevor. It, I know. It's so good. Here and, comes the guilt. I'm feeling it. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I do what I can. Um, no, I remember that. I, I don't remember the whole exact timeline. I think it won maybe in October or something like that. And then I got either book money or or like uh, birthday money or Christmas money gift cards. And I went to the bookstore and saw it on the shelf. And I sat down and started reading it in the bookstore. And it was just one of those where I fell in love from the very beginning. I had this gift card burning a hole in my pocket. And so I just took it home, read it immediately. And that was one where, again, the the excitement of the prize fueled like put it on my radar where I saw it on the bookshelf and knew what it was, but all it took was that little in. And then I picked it up and the first page, I was just completely sold. So those were just a couple more that, you know, for me, really. really I think that's fun. I appreciate you taking us that direction, Paul, because I, you know, getting back to the books a little bit, that's, I mean, that's the, the, and these conversations about books, it's, it's why we're here (laughs) for sure. Um, and oh, Lori, did you did any others come to mind? It's okay if not, uh, but I didn't want to cut you off if you've been brainstorming and all of a sudden I wrap us up. Well, then you, then you go off steaming the rest of the day. Just Trevor, no, me no, off. I wouldn't do that, Trevor. <laughs> um, but just in connection with the Republic of Consciousness Prize, I think I mentioned that um, there's two articles on on the blog at the prize website that um, talk about these. Um, debut novels by now famous authors. And one of them that's just fantastic that I'd recommend to anyone um, is um, Kate Zambreno's Oh Fallen Angel. Um, I discovered that in writing the article for the blog. um, And that was published by by a a small press that's no longer around, sadly. It was uh, Lydia Yunkovich's Press. I can't remember what it was called. It starts with an S. But anyway, um, if you go on to the blog, you'll see <laughs> who the publisher was. <laughs> but that's a really, really great little gem of a book and, and just brilliant. Oh, I keep hearing more and more and more and more about Kate Zambrino. It, oh, it's hard with so like good. Rebecca Hussey and, and Kim McNeil always talking about how much they enjoy her books and they're, they don't, I don't feel the pressure from them. I feel the passion mm. and drifts by her. It was one of yeah. my favorite books that I read last year. It's drifts amazing. is great. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's sitting right there ready for me to pick it up. Oh, well, okay. I'll, t- I'll tick one more, uh, one more bingo square and just say that mentioning other podcasts, which we've already done several times, but the, <laughs> the bright book, one bright book podcast that, uh, mm-hmm. that Rebecca and our friends, run they just did a whole episode on kate zambrino which is really good so if anybody's interested in re- or listening to a little bit more about her i would recommend that episode when sure. did that when did that go up um i've been a little bit out of it over the last yeah, i think of it's weeks. like maybe the most recent one so maybe within the last week or so 
good, good. That's yeah, it inspired me because I've only read, I read Drifts and I read her, one of her first books, which was called Green Girl, which was mm-hmm. not a, yeah, it was still really good, but it probably was where she was still finding her footing, I would say. Um, but whether that's true or not, either way, I, I just want to read more of her books because she her, has such a fascinating mind and she's such a wonderful writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exciting. Okay, yeah, I see it here. It just went up October 25th. I knew it was coming, mm-hmm. um, but I hadn't seen that it got up. But like I say, it's been a little bit of a of a blur the last couple of weeks. So yeah. I'm excited for the weekend. We always leave these, Lori, ready to go read. And then, you know, errands and other things get in the way um, a lot of these weekends. And and but it's still fun. <laughs> yeah, I um I've got big goals for reading this weekend, but after we're through here recording, probably the first thing I'm going to be doing is watch my college football team lose. Um, oh. I'm a I'm a Penn State Nittany Lion, and we play Ohio State this morning, so that's going to be real ugly. Yeah, oh, well, you boy. might need an escape, so save that book, have it there as a comfort <laughs> right after. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll turn the TV off at the second at the halftime and just like read. It'll be exactly. probably worth my while uh, to do so. <laughs> Uh, well, thanks so much for coming and joining us, Lori. It has been a pleasure. It's nice, you know. You and I have chatted plenty, but it, it's always it's always fun to get together on these and realize. I I mean, this is the first time we've talked to each other, but it doesn't feel like it to me. Um, I don't know. It's 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 interesting these online communities and how they can just become a part of a part of you that uh, this is already. You know, it just feels familiar and and nice to, nice to see you again. Wait until yeah. next time, you know, kind of kind of vibes. So, <laughs> book people are natural friends. I think if if, <laughs> if there are people that want to talk books, it's just it's um it's automatic friendship, and it's exactly. been a real pleasure to join you guys. Thanks for what you do. Thanks for what you do for books. Well, and and listeners, we will continue over the next few months to bring up the Republic of Consciousness mm-hmm. Prize in the U.S. and the and Canada. And I can't wait to see what you guys have in store for us, Lori. <laughs> Thanks so much. Absolutely. It's exciting. Paul, anything you want to say before I log you out? As I know, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Before you cut me off. No, I would just, yeah, echoing that. I can't wait to see the the long list and the short list. And I was just thinking, you and I both always do kind of an end of the year or beginning of the mm-hmm. year, like wrapping up and looking ahead. And I would not be surprised to hear some of these books coming up on some of those discussions so for sure. And I guess on the on that note, just as a final thing for listeners, um, our next author focus episode is coming up. This is this is episode forty, and so you know, episode forty five is going to be about Scholastic Mukasonga, and I'm excited about that. It might be a time when we fiddle with the numbers, like the rules, Paul. I don't know because I don't want to do episode forty five on Scholastic Mukasonga on like and have it come out on Christmas day right, or something right, like right. that. So, it, you know, it might be that we have to tweak that just a little bit this time, but that is our next one. And we have not announced that yet. So I thought some reader, mm-hmm. you know, listeners might want to, to get ready and, and read up on some of her books that come from archipelago. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I don't think, I don't know if that counts. I don't know if that counts. Uh, when I said it on purpose. To, you know. <laughs> so, all right. Well, thanks everybody for your time and for listening. We hope you're having a great November. Uh, go visit a bookstore, go visit a, a library and uh, enjoy this time of year when you have more excuses to be inside reading. So, Absolutely. <laughs> we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. 
You can follow the Mooks and the Gripes and get show notes and book and film reviews at mooksandgripes.com. On Twitter, you can find Trevor at Mooks and Paul at BiblioPaul. You can also get information about future shows on our Patreon. If you'd like to donate to the show, anything and everything, even a dollar a month, helps and is deeply appreciated. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash mooks. Until next time.